health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Kanchan Koya. Kanchan wants to demystify healing spices for you and your family. She has a PhD in biomedicine from Harvard and training from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Kanchan knows one thing for certain. Food can be our best medicine. Spices have powerful, health-boosting properties validated by modern science. Plus, they make food ultra-delicious. Yet many of us only use them sparingly and we're scared to offer them to our kids. Conchin's goal is to debunk these myths, teach you about the powerful benefits of spices, and inspire you to use them in things you make for your babies and kids. In the episode, Conchin shares her five favorite spices, how to easily incorporate spices into everyday cooking, which spices are safe for babies and young children, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Kanchan. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Brooke, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this topic because listeners will know we talked a lot on here about nutrition and weight loss and sleep and stress and mindset. We don't talk a lot about spices. So this is going to be a cool, unique episode. These unique episodes are kind of always a hit because, you know, it's something different. It's something out of the norm. And I know I'm going to learn a lot myself because I have a couple spices, but a lot of them just kind of sit there and gather Mm -hmm. dust and I don't use them. And I think a lot of people would agree, you know, you buy a bunch maybe for one recipe and then they end up just sitting in your spice cabinet for a really long time. Absolutely. And you know, Brooke, if I were to articulate my kind of mission in life, it literally is to bring the spices to the front of the pantry from the back sort of gathering dust area, because I really do believe that food has medicinal power. And I really do think spices are a gateway into that world of food as medicine. They are, you know, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, just some of the most antioxidant rich ingredients we can add to our food. There is real science now on how they can benefit our gut microbiome, our inflammation status, our metabolic health and so on. And they're delicious and they make cooking so much fun. And I think for a lot of people, they can be intimidating and therefore they're kind of stuffed in the into the back of the cupboard, like you said, but we're going to bring them to the front awesome. after this episode. Yeah, I can't wait. I did talk to somebody a while ago 
about spices. I can't, I mean, it's bad. I can't even remember their name at this point. It was a long time ago. I should probably have looked that up. Uh, But they were even talking about spices as a way to bring more vegetable. Like they were, they were looping them into the category of like fruits and vegetables and just saying, you know, think of them as you would think about all the other plants that you try Mm -hmm. to eat and just think of this as like another plant you're bringing in. And I thought that was a really cool mindset shift rather than having them be this other thing of just, this is something I include. And also you said making things taste better. Speaking of vegetables, it's a great way to jazz them up without using all of the butter and oil and, you know, have flavorful vegetables rather than bland, mushy ones that maybe people are turned off by from their childhoods. <laughs> I hear that a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, spices are essentially plant foods. They come from plants. They are just not, you know, the vegetable part of the plant. They're usually either a dried root or seed or flower or sometimes the bark, like a cinnamon bark, but they are from plants. So I think thinking about them as just another plant food, like you would vegetables or fruits is really helpful. That way they don't seem so foreign and Mm -hmm. esoteric. And there is actually research to suggest, you know, as you may well know, that the diversity of plants in our diet is the single strongest predictor of the diversity and health of our gut microbiome. And we want more diversity because that's just better for us. It's like a garden or an ecosystem. The more diverse, the better. And these spices, given their plant-derived polyphenols and phytonutrients, actually contribute to that diversity. So if you're striving for more plant diversity so that you can have a healthier gut, spices absolutely count in that sort of math. Right. How cool. It's, I'm thinking now they're kind of this bonus, you know, cause you're eating the fruits and vegetables, but what I hear from a lot of people is, you know, you're having the most diversity, like you said, of fruits and vegetables is important, but a lot of people kind of gravitate towards a few vegetables that they really enjoy or a few fruits. And then if you were to bring in the spices, you're bringing in more variety to the things that you like without maybe having to choke down a bunch of vegetables you don't like. Um, yeah. So very cool. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to be become interested in spices and to write your book, Spice Spice Baby, which has the best name of any book ever? <laughs> uh, thank you. My husband takes credit for the name, but of course it was not his idea. I don't know of why. Of course he- it wasn't. <laughs> Um, I grew up in India, so I feel like spices are just part of my DNA, literally. Um, you know, every Indian household has a spice box. It's this metallic round box people may have seen with these little compartments with different spices. And honestly, it's just there. We don't even think about it. We don't even actually respect it or revere it. We kind of just take it for granted. And I was exactly like that. Um, and then I came to the United States for college. So I came here when I was 18. I went to the University of Texas, Austin for undergrad. I was very interested in biology. I did my bachelor's in molecular biology. And then I went to graduate school at Harvard Medical School to study cancer biology. You know, not really ever thinking about spices and health. I was like, I'm only into serious science and spices is like woo-woo science because my grandmother used to put turmeric in milk and make me drink it when I was sick. And that's a bunch of nonsense, basically. And um, I was in my lab at Harvard Medical School and we started to do a screen, which just means we were looking for 
natural compounds that can affect breast cancer cells and inhibit cancer progression or help treat breast cancer cells. And one of the compounds in the screen was actually from turmeric, the spice. And that was the first time, honestly, where I was like, oh my gosh, wait a second. Like all this ancient wisdom that is part and parcel of like traditional Chinese medicine or Indian medicine is now being tested at, you know, not just any university, but like at Harvard Medical School. So maybe there is something to all of this ancient insight that I've kind of rolled my eyes at. And I didn't do anything with that information. I just kind of put it in my head. And I, you know, I think it was a planting of the seed moment, I like to think, because a few years later, when I was trying to decide, okay, like, I've just had a kid, I did some stuff in biotechnology, I don't really love like the drug discovery space. It's, you know, it's important and pharmaceuticals have a place in treatment and health, but I was really passionate about preventative health. Mm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start a blog about spices because I'm giving my six month old son spices in his baby purees because I know they are really, really powerful, potent sources of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds and gut health boosting chemicals. And I want to give my kid the best start And then I had a lot of people um, genuinely concerned ask me if that was okay. Like, are you sure you can add spices to kids' food? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That doesn't seem right. (laughs) And I realized there were a lot of misconceptions around spices. To a lot of people, they are a bit alien and intimidating. So I started the blog thinking, you know, I'm a new mom. This is a passion project. We'll see what happens. I'll get serious about work in a couple of years and go back to whatever serious work looks like. And you know, one thing led to another. And now Spice Spice Baby is my serious work. And I take it very seriously. And I love it. And I'm so grateful that I get to really do this for a living and share my love of spices and also how they can really impact people's health and lives in delicious ways. Absolutely. Can you actually just continue then and elaborate on how they do impact your health? You mentioned gut health, but aside from that, How are spices health promoting? So, you know, just taking a big picture view, I mean, I think people sometimes don't appreciate that spices and our quest for spices as a human race has literally shaped our history and geography of our civilizations for centuries. And that sounds like very dramatic and an exaggeration, but it really isn't. You know, they like Christopher Columbus was looking for spices when he accidentally stumbled upon the shores of America. The Portuguese landed in India, um, you know, trying to monopolize the spice trade. Of course, a lot of this has a dark side in terms of colonization and exploitation. But the truth is, our ancestors knew that spices were powerful and potent because they had insights just maybe intuitively that there were and maybe just observationally that they had medicinal power they could prevent spoilage of food because they had antimicrobial properties for example um there are actually anecdotes that people used to trade pepper for oxen i mean so they were really valued and i think they've kind of become devalued because they're just easier to find and you can go to a grocery store and walk down a spice aisle and it's like no big deal mm-hmm. but i only mention that because it just puts into context this almost like reverence that our ancestors had for spices that we in modern times have maybe kind of lost touch with. And I think the reverence is well-deserved because when we look at the science, spices are some of the most 
antioxidant rich plant derived you know um ingredients out there so if we think of spices like another fruit or vegetable you compare all the fruits and vegetables all the plant foods spices often emerge as some of the most densely packed with antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds compared to any other food they're just very concentrated source of antioxidants in very small amounts um so that's the main reason why they have health benefits because antioxidants, anti-inflammatory compounds, all of these polyphenols. I mean, it's all fancy terminology just for this idea that spices have compounds that are plant-derived that have real effects in our bodies at a cellular and molecular level. Hmm. And they can impact many processes, mostly for the better. There's a few instances where they might have some negative effects, but usually when they're used in excess, and we can talk about that. But, you know, they affect our cellular antioxidant status. So your listeners might be familiar with the fact that as our cells divide and as we metabolize, you know, food or just go through normal metabolism, normal growth, there is something produced called reactive oxygen species or ROS. And over time, these can cause cellular damage. They can damage our DNA. They can cause aging and disease. And so antioxidants in our food can actually neutralize some of these free radicals. So that's why antioxidant-rich foods are so beneficial. Hmm. And also not directly neutralizing these free radicals, all these antioxidants in our food and spices are by no means the only source of antioxidants. They just happen to be a very potent source. All of these antioxidant-rich foods can also at a very core level just boost our cellular resilience for this kind of oxidative stress reducing unwanted inflammation and so on. So, you know, there's many different mechanisms by which spices have been studied to have benefits, but I would say the strongest studied are probably the impact of spices on inflammation and gut health. So inflammation, as we all know, really important in the right place at the right time. It's not a bad thing. It's when it's chronic and it's kind of constant and unregulated, it starts to cause damage. Just like, you know, a fire in a localized setting is very powerful. It can transform things. It can, you know, we can we can we can convert things in fire and do magical things with fire. But if it's like a low grade constant fire, we get a wildfire and that can be very damaging. And inflammation is kind of similar. We don't want chronic low grade inflammation. And spices can have can in culinary amounts, the research shows, and we need more research, but we have really interesting science now showing that spices in culinary amounts can reduce markers of inflammation even after a single meal, which to me is mind blowing. So I would say the impact of spices on inflammation control, which is on everyone's mind for good reason. And then also spices seem to have the ability to alter our gut microbiome for the better increase the diversity, increase the prevalence of healthy gut bacteria. Um, And then some spices directly impact digestion. So improve digestive enzyme production, help food move through the digestive tract more efficiently, reduce gas and bloating, potentially prevent heartburn. So, I mean, I could go on and on, you know, but I think that there's many benefits that spices seem to be involved with, and we're getting more and more data now on some of these benefits in real time in human studies, which is very exciting. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. 
Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Which spices are particularly known for their wellness benefits? Are there certain that stand out or is it just that people have latched on to some and promoted those? And so it seems like something like turmeric or cinnamon is this, you know, powerhouse spice, but maybe it's not the most medicinal one. Right. So in all the studies that have looked at the impact of spices in humans, the studies have always been done with spice blends. So blends of multiple spices, rarely one spice alone will have this kind of superfood effect. So I would have to say, I agree with you that I think people have taken a couple of spices that they figured out and wrapped their heads around and kind of claim that they have superfood status. And I really think the magic lies in variety, just Mm. like with fruits and vegetables. You know, everyone's like, I eat kale every day. Great. But guess what? There's Swiss chard. There is spinach. There is broccoli raw. There's like a million green vegetables and kale is also great. But when we tend as a culture, I think, to latch on to these like singular foods because they feel like they have this magic bullet ability to cure all our ailments. Uh And I worry that we're making that same mistake with spices. So turmeric is great. Cinnamon is great. But really what we want is variety. And all spices have these beneficial polyphenols and properties. And really the spice blends are where some of the magic lies. That said, I think for someone new to spices, like a blend of 16 spices could feel intimidating. Hmm. So I always like to start with like a handful that I think are well-studied that have some pretty compelling health boosting properties and that are easy to use in a modern global kitchen. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's the next question because Now I've heard use a wide variety, which totally makes sense. But then I'm not the most adept in the kitchen. So I'm thinking, oh, how do I do that? How do I use a wide variety? So which ones would you say are most easily accessible? Yeah. Yeah. So I um, have five that I often list and it's not because I think the others are not great. I just, you know, like these quali- these properties that we discussed, like I want them to be well-studied. I want them to be easy to use in all kinds of cuisine because let's be honest, not everybody every day wants to make like a complicated curry or like a complicated dish, which often people associate with spices like, oh, I got to, you know, make this one dish. And if I'm not making that, I don't really know how to use them. So I try to include in this list of five spices, 
spices that you could literally add to your everyday favorite foods, no matter what they are. And I can give you examples. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then third would just be that they're accessible. So they're usually available at a regular grocery store or online. Like you don't have to go to like a super specialty store to get them. So I would say number one, you know, I'm just going to say turmeric because it is on everyone's mind and it is extensively studied and it has really beneficial compounds like curcumin, which have shown benefits for literally everything like inflammation control, gut health, your brain health. There's a caveat with turmeric, which I'm sure people have heard of, which is that the curcumin is not readily bioavailable, which means your body kind of clears it through the liver very rapidly. And you want it to stick around. If you just wanted to do, if you just wanted, if you wanted to just do its thing for your gut health, then it's fine. It will traverse your gut. It will have some benefits. But if you want it to linger and affect your liver positively or potentially your brain health, you do want it to get absorbed. And so it's important when you're using turmeric to use it the right way to improve the bioavailability. So usually you want to heat it in some sort of a fat source like Mm. oil or ghee, and you want to pair it with black pepper. And that will substantially increase the rate at which it is kind of retained and absorbed in the body. Hmm. Um, so that's turmeric one and we can get, you know, and, and then again, like just I'll, I can give examples of dishes because I feel like people are like, what would I do with it? So this is why I don't love adding turmeric powder to smoothies because there's no heat. There may not be fat. And rarely do you want to put black pepper in your smoothie. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> so but my husband probably would, because when he makes a smoothie, he gets out literally 20 things and I'm like, what is going on over there? But uh, yeah, right. for the, the yeah, majority of motivated. Yeah. yeah, he's going to hear this and be like, challenge accepted. <laughs> Tumor and black say, pepper. <laughs> right. I would say, you know, think of things you eat every day. So like most people would eat, I don't know, like maybe rice or quinoa potentially or some kind of grain, you could just add a pinch of turmeric in oil and black pepper to that. Hmm. Um, You know, another example is oatmeal, which I know it sounds weird, but we all know now many cafes serve like a golden milk. So you could add a little turmeric, black pepper and date syrup to your oatmeal and turn it into like a golden oatmeal. Literally, you could put turmeric into any sauteed or roasted vegetables. So if you're roasting potatoes, you're roasting cauliflower, pinch of turmeric with black pepper makes it really like vibrant and exciting. The goal is to add it to lots of things on a regular basis so that you're getting enough to get some benefits. Um, And also, you know, you could, you could um, combine it and we'll talk about that when I talk about some of the other spices. So, I mean, I like it in popcorn, like turmeric Mm. popcorn is fun. Any kind of like stew or um, soup, or any sautéed or roasted vegetables, any kind of grain. I mean, you can see how the options are endless and I'm not talking about complicated recipes. I'm just talking about things you already do. Yeah, I love that. One question. So you're talking about heating it in fat and pairing it with black pepper. So would you, in a little saucepan off to the side, have a little bit of oil, let's say olive oil, and you put the turmeric in there and the black pepper, and then you pour that on the rice? Or can you just literally shake the turmeric and black pepper and drizzle the olive oil on the rice and that'll do the trick either one um so i know people i know some people like to saute um like to toast their rice in a little oil and garlic and then add the water and cook it that way um you could add the turmeric at that stage or you could do what you just said you know okay add the turmeric a little oil pepper while your rice is cooking and you're done 
Perfect. Oh, so you can actually put it, you would put it in the water? Yes. Oh, okay. And enough would get absorbed? Yeah, you want, actually does better with heat. So, you know, it'll just cook with the rice. Exactly. Or if you put it on when the rice is still warm, is that? Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, I would, I would let it, uh, you, you, turmeric can have this kind of raw, almost like bitter flavor that mellows out with a little bit of heat and Uh. cooking. So if you add it, I would just make sure it's getting enough contact with heat for some time to kind of mellow out the flavor. Before okay, so I think it. that's my main issue. And probably other people too, is just the shaking it on at the end when something's lukewarm and then it tastes kind of bitter. So it sounds yeah. like the key is actually letting it heat up to reduce yes. the bitterness. Okay. And if you look at traditional cultures that have used it for centuries, they will almost always start the dish with turmeric. And then, so there's the typical sequence is oil, maybe garlic and, you know, some like whole spice, like maybe you'd use cumin seeds and oil, a little bit of garlic, turmeric, and then you'd add like your green beans. Got it. And then you'd cook them until they're done. So the turmeric's actually in there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Turmeric's one. I'm excited yeah. to hear the others. Yeah. So second, I would say cinnamon. It's familiar okay. to people. It's also extensively studied for its effects on blood sugar balance. There's some interesting research on cinnamon and its effects on our mood. Even the, the mere scent of it may affect our mood positively. And a lot of us now are in the Northeast, maybe, or just in colder weather. And, you know, the days are shorter and we have seasonal like affect disorder, like just people feeling a little bit more down because it's winter. Um, So cinnamon and and cinnamon is such an integral part of like winter treats and whatnot. And there may be some basis to that. Um, So cinnamon, I think, is just so versatile, like pancakes, oatmeal. I put it in my morning coffee. I use it in my tea as chai. I mean, endless options. Like I sprinkle it on my fruit, on yogurt, because I want to keep my blood sugar stable. I like how it tastes. You can also use it in savory dishes. If you've never added cinnamon to like your taco meat, Mm. um, it's delicious. It's often in many blends that are used with meat. So like garam masala in India, or there's a blend in the Middle East called Baharat spice, which is often used with meat and kebabs and stuff like that. And also has cinnamon in it. So don't feel like you have to only use cinnamon in desserts. Okay. And then that one does not require heat? So all spices, this is a great question. Most spices do well with some heat because a lot of the compounds and spices are volatile compounds that get activated with heat. And that's where a lot of the benefits lie. That doesn't mean... Every spice has to be heated and there's no benefits by sprinkling raw cinnamon on dishes. There definitely is. But cinnamon can handle heat like, you know, in an oatmeal. I would put it towards the end of the dish Mm. um, rather than like in the case of turmeric where you you kind of wanted to infuse the dish because you want that brightness and that spiciness and the pepperiness, the flavor. You don't want that to disappear, which it will over time in heat. Okay, so... I'm thinking right now I made oatmeal this morning and so I make it in the microwave and then I usually make it with water and then I pull it out and I pour a little milk in and I put it back in. So I could put the cinnamon in before I put it back in for two minutes and then it kind of heats up rather than me just drizzling it on at the end. Yeah, you could do both and they would both be great and both benefits. That's the thing. Like a lot of these spices have multiple compounds, not just one. 
So some compounds may be activated by heat. Some compounds may actually lose some potency Uh. with heat. So don't like overthink it. Okay. (laughs) For most of them, it doesn't matter. Like you could cook, you could cook the dish with them. And then you could also sprinkle some on top. That way you're getting a bit of it cooked and a bit of it raw. Oh, I love that. Perfect. So cinnamon is great. Um, I will make a quick point about cinnamon. If you are using it often and putting it in things like smoothies or just using it daily, you want to try to find something called true cinnamon. There's two varieties of cinnamon. The regular variety that you find at the grocery store is called cassia cinnamon. And it's fine, but at high enough doses, it may pose a liver toxicity issue because it contains a compound called coumarin. And there's another variety called true cinnamon, sometimes called Ceylon cinnamon, which does not have measurable amounts of coumarin. So if you are somebody that loves cinnamon and you're throwing it in your coffee and you're putting it in your oatmeal and you're trying to use it regularly, you're probably better off going out of your way to find true cinnamon. Okay. And Ceylon, you said it's either called true or is that C-E-Y? Yes. C-E-Y-L-O-N for the island country, Ceylon or Sri Lanka. Yeah. That's originally where it it comes from, that variety. Very good to know. I don't think we have that. Most people don't, but you can get it online easily. And I think I've even seen it now at like grocery stores and Whole Foods and stuff like that. Oh, I love it. I'm creating a shopping list as we speak. (laughs) Yeah. So cinnamon would be number two. Then I would say um, I'm going to put in ginger Hmm. because, again, it's really easy to use the ginger root or the powdered ginger, whichever one you like. So great for digestion, gas, bloating. Um, It can be really powerful for PMS. So if you're struggling with PMS symptoms, there's some research suggesting ginger may help. By the way, turmeric may also help with PMS. Again, because it's a potent anti-inflammatory and it's so easy to grate into soups, stews, sauteed vegetables, put it in your tea. Whenever possible, I like to keep the skin on. So when I'm cooking, I take the skin off because it would be weird texture to have the skin um, like, you know, pieces of skin in Mm -hmm. my soup. But if you're making a tea and you're infusing it into the tea and then straining it, leave the skin on because the skin has a lot of the beneficial antioxidants as well. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. Got it. Number four would be sumac, which is this purple burgundy powder that you often see sprinkled on like hummus and baba ganoush and salads at Middle Eastern restaurants. It comes from the sumac berry that's found on a bush in the Middle East. It's ground down into a powder and it's Anytime you see the color purple in nature, you know you're getting these antioxidants called anthocyanins. They're also found in blueberries and eggplant and in sumac. And it's so easy to use. It, think of sumac as lemon without the liquid. 
Hmm. You just sprinkle it on a salad. You get this vibrant, zesty kind of lemony flavor. You can spr- so sumac is something that's better sprinkled. Okay. Um, it is thought to not stand up to heat that well, and maybe some of the antioxidants in sumac are actually heat sensitive. So I would just finish things with it, like put okay. it on hummus, put it on baba ganoush, put it on your salad. I love it on eggs. Um, I finish dishes with it, like and it makes for a really pretty garnish as well, and it's really easy to use. Huh. I'm sure and that's then, one people don't have a lot of experience with, myself included. Right, right. But I'm when people when I tell people, oh, have you ever seen that like purple dusting on hummus or baba ganoush? They're like, oh yeah, I didn't know that was a spice. <laughs> yeah, how cool. Yeah, I love a new one to introduce. So that's great. And then the final one I would say is anything in the in the chili pepper family. And this mm. brings up an interesting point because many people are like, I want to like spices, but I don't like hot food. And so I'm here to tell you that not all spices are spicy. And even within the chili pepper family, we're all familiar with paprika, which comes from like the red bell pepper that's just dried and powdered. And mm-hmm. it's not spicy. Sometimes it's sweet. Sometimes it's smoked. Um, so anything in that family, all the way from sweet paprika to spicy chili peppers is great because it contains these antioxidants, anti-inflammatory compounds. The spicier the chili, the more it has this compound called capsaicin, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory and also great for the gut microbiome. Too much chili can irritate the gastric lining. So you want to find a balance. And if you don't tolerate it, just have the sweet peppers, the paprika. Hmm. But again, super versatile. Like every time I roast potatoes or make like smashed, but you know, the roasted smashed potato trend. So good. Just dusting of paprika on there. I love putting it on fish, like so easy salmon with a little olive oil, paprika and garlic powder done. Um, just a great way to add color, flavor, and antioxidants to like your everyday favorites. I love that. In terms of blends, what are, do you have certain ones you really enjoy or certain companies you like to buy from because you know, they're high quality, because I think in my mind, like a blend could also be very accessible for me. Yeah. So there's a lot of blends out there. I'll make a shameless plug for a blend that I co-created with a very high quality spice company called La Boite in New York City, B-O-I-T-E. And we created a bunch of different blends um, that are inspired by Indian spices, but they don't have to be restricted to Indian food. And there's actually, so there's two blends that I'll mention, but then there's many others too. There's a blend we created called Everyday Masala, Mm -hmm. which has cumin, coriander, turmeric and chili and you can put this on in in or on anything and cook with it and it's amazing so you know again like any kind of oven roasted vegetable or chicken or fish or even shrimp it's fantastic oven roasted or sauteed i just made my son before our conversation um a quesadilla Mm -hmm. and i added a little bit of finely chopped shallot and that spice blend into the cheese so and i call it like a masala Masala just means like spices in India, a masala quesadilla. And he was wow. like, mommy, this is the best quesadilla ever. I was like, okay, okay. Thank you. I <laughs> made my day. <laughs> That's amazing. Also, as you're talking about this quesadilla, I'm like, wow, your kids are very lucky because <laughs> you're making them these gourmet. I mean, not even right in terms of the amount of time it's taking you, but because of the spices no, you're two using minutes. and your knowledge, yeah. it's, it seems very gourmet and they're getting these fantastic I would say a good spice blend to cook with that has some of these spices I mentioned. So like turmeric, 
you know, even like, like chili, like the chili blend that you can buy. I mean, there's so many blends these days, but anything that has like some turmeric, some paprika, some cumin is going to be great because it's going to hit a lot of different mechanisms of action for benefits and yeah. it's savory and easy to use in soups, stews, curries, roast vegetables. I mean, you want to be able to use it all the time in different things. Like you don't want to blend that you only use once. For sure. And then you mentioned putting spices into your baby food and you just mentioned cooking for your son. Are there any concerns about spices that we would use with babies or young kids? So yeah, every pediatrician will tell you that spices are great for babies. There's no scientific basis to give babies bland food and there's really no spices off limits, except I would say the chili peppers, they can probably wait just because their tummies are sensitive and their tongues are sensitive. That said, there are cultures that will give babies chili peppers. Okay. I wait, I waited for mine to get a little bit older before I started exposing them to like spicy spices. All the spices are fine in culinary amounts. I would stay away from concentrated teas where there's just high amounts of spice. Like sometimes people have tried to make like star anise teas or nutmeg teas. Nutmeg is a spice where you don't want to overdo it because it can cause some hallucinations and palpitations. But if you're sticking to culinary amounts, there is no spice off limits for babies or kids. I would just wait for the chili peppers until they're a little bit older. I think also, as I'm thinking about vegetables and making them taste better, this is probably a great way to get your kids to actually like different vegetables. I think so. And honestly, if you get your kids involved in prepping the vegetable with the spices. So for example, I like to add cardamom to sweet potatoes, makes Mm. it so luxurious and dessert like, and I'll actually get my kids to help me crack open the cardamom pod, take out the seed and like gently smash it in a mortar and pestle. They feel super involved. They smell it. It's a sensory experience. And then we add it to the sweet potato and you know, they're, they, they have skin in the game. They're like, Oh, I made that like with many other dishes, but with spices, especially because they're very workable, they're, they're brightly colored and they have like great aroma and just visually appealing. It's fun to get them involved or at least show them like, hey, I'm sprinkling some paprika on these oven roasted fries like and turning them red. And isn't that exciting? So absolutely, they're a great way to build more, you know, to create more adventurous eaters. We've used the term sprinkle a lot or dust how much spice do you usually put on something so that it has flavor, but it's not overbearing? A great question. Really depends on the spice and the dish and like your level of spice tolerance. So okay. I always tell people start like low and slow, you know, like with anything new, take a little bit, put it on. I would say certain spices can turn bitter if overdone, like turmeric is an example where you want to use a little bit less. So for example, if I'm making a lentil soup, um, for four people, I might just use half a teaspoon of turmeric in that. So not a ton, because I don't want to overpower the dish with the bitterness of the turmeric. But with like cumin and paprika, you can go a little bit higher, like a teaspoon, two teaspoons, really up to depends on your palate, your tolerance, start slow, you can always add more and you can always add more at the end. So when you do that final taste where you're Mm. like, let me taste for salt and pepper, you're like, this could use some more flavor, you can add a bit more cumin, a bit more coriander, a bit more paprika at that stage. Awesome. And I've learned it's good to drizzle it or sprinkle at the end because then you get some of the compounds that that might be lost with heat. Exactly. 100 (laughs) percent. I'm learning. Which is why you'll see you'll see chefs do that all the time. You know, when Uh you get a dish and it has a dusting of spice at the end, 
they are trying to just layer the flavors and like reinforce the flavors, but there's also potentially some health benefits there. Right. Yeah. I'm sure people, I mean, it's probably annoying to listeners, but they probably hear me typing away (laughs) during this episode because I'm taking all these notes, Um, but I'm learning a lot. So I'm, I'm personally loving this and I apologize to anybody who's distracted by my typing. Are spice supplements worth the hype? Mm, Great question. So I think it depends. They can have a purpose and a use. Always consult with the physician and just know that the supplement market is completely unregulated. So many times you have no idea what you're getting and there may be nothing in there. (laughs) And you might just be wasting your money. And sometimes there may be heavy metals because spices can be contaminated with heavy metals. So the moral of the story is choose the right brand, do your research, ask the brands for their certificates of analysis, which will tell you the levels of heavy metals in their supplements. Hmm. Um, So yes, sometimes when you have an acute condition, like let's say you have arthritis and you want to use turmeric and curcumin to help, studies that have looked at the effects of turmeric and curcumin, its active compound on things like arthritis have used supplements. High concentrations of curcumin that would be very hard to achieve in culinary amounts. Like you would have to use like three teaspoons of turmeric a day or even more, which it's not, it's not easy for the average person to get to that. Hmm. Um, not impossible, but you know, easier to just take like three supplements. So they, they can have a purpose. I like to think of them as needed in more acute settings when there's a really specific condition that you're trying to treat. But I think for prevention and exposure to antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds on a daily basis, cooking with them is just fine. But you need to be consistent and you need to kind of enjoy adding them to lots of different dishes on a regular basis. How long do most spices last? Because I'm thinking of some that are in my cupboard that are probably expired. <laughs> so they don't really go bad. Oh, they, they don't. Lose, they lose their luster. They okay. kind of, you know, they, they have these active compounds that over time just lose their potency and aroma and their health benefits. So I would say if you've bought a ground spice, like ground paprika, ground cumin, try to use it within six months. If it's a whole spice, you can make it last longer because those compounds are protected within the structure of the whole spice. Once you grind it, you expose a lot of those compounds to the elements and that starts to kind of begin, not the degradation, but the, you know, just like the volatility of them, they start to lose their potency. Mm -hmm. So whole spices, one to three years, um, ground spices, six months, you can grind your own spices in small batches. I realize that seems like a lot. So I know, that's intimidating for people. But if you do that once, you will see why it's so amazing. It tastes so much better. I use a little coffee grinder that I dedicate to spices. It's 20 hmm. bucks on Amazon. You know, that's my spice grinder. And then keep your spices in airtight containers away from heat and light. That is going to prolong their shelf life and their potency. Okay. So in a cupboard is good. Is it yes. okay in just the clear glass they give yeah. you? Because it's, it's dark in but- there. Okay. Yeah, I always go one cupboard away from like the stove because then Mm. next to the stove is a lot of heat and the ovens. So I'm always like, oh, Mm -hmm. just move over one drawer. (laughs) Right. I'm curious, do you know of any baby food that includes spices in it if people weren't interested in making their own? Or is that something you kind of have to do? No, I feel like all the big brands, I mean, my kids are now 11 and six, so we haven't done the baby food thing in a while. But even when we were doing pouches and stuff back then, 
um, six years ago, I feel like people, I was seeing cinnamon and cumin. Oh, and cool. Every, like, yeah, totally. And I, I recently, a friend of mine who just had a baby said, oh, look at these little dried apple crisps with cardamom. I was like, no way. So totally. And this is not even an Indian brand. It's like fully American. So I think there's more of an acceptance that spices can be helpful tools to build adventurous palates and really was, like yeah. jazz up, jazz up like kids food. I was going to ask about that. Since your kids have been exposed to spices from such an early age, would you say they have pretty adventurous palates? Yeah, they are both unique. So, you know, and this is just a reminder that you can do all the things and your kid will still have yeah. their own unique <laughs> path. <laughs> don't take it personally. My daughter is six. She's, I would say, in a picky phase. I don't like to call anyone a picky eater because they're always phases. Right. But she's she's more particular. And I expose her to exactly the same things I did my son. Um, he is way more adventurous and accepting. And she's on her own path. Overall, I would say they're both very adventurous and accepting of maybe flavors that would not be typical because they were exposed to them at an early age. And the research is pretty clear that exposing kids early to things definitely expands their palate. Oh, interesting. In all of your years working with spices, is there anything you've changed your mind about? Mm, great question. I think I've just changed my mind. You know, I definitely like, like the idea of like a single spice or like five spices that are going to solve all our problems. And I mm -hmm. really do think that the overall dietary pattern matters more than anything else. Mm -hmm. There is no single superfood or single magic bullet ingredient that's going to save us. And yeah, I think I've just, I, I've just taken a more holistic approach, like really the overall dietary pattern. And you know what, like this may not, this seems maybe a little bit unrelated to the conversation we're having, but just like our mindset, like I think our thoughts influence our biology in very profound ways. And so like, how are we viewing the food we're eating? Like, are we pausing? Are we taking our time? Are we really seeing it as nourishment? Like all of that really matters. And I think I didn't pay enough attention to all of that. A few years ago, I was very like reductionist, like, mm. oh, I want this anti-inflammatory compound. So I'm going to eat watercress. And now I'm like the whole meal and the environment and the context and the people I'm eating with and my mindset all really matters. So I would say it just changed my mind on a, that, that it's the holistic kind of impact is probably more powerful than any single antioxidant. I feel like all of us, if we're honest, would say at some point we were very reductionist of I do this for this. And it's yeah. some people may still feel that way, but it is very freeing, I think, when you realize your overall dietary pattern matters most and it puts less pressure on any single ingredient or meal. And also I think 100%. allows you to enjoy things that you like. Like I'll have clients tell me, well, you know, you're going to be disappointed, but I don't like kale. And I respond, I'm not disappointed at all. <laughs> you should, if you don't like yeah. kale, you shouldn't eat kale. Like you said, there are dozens of other green vegetables and leafy greens you can eat. And I, I think it's sad that kind of the message is at different times, this is the superfood and you have to eat it to be healthy. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. 100%. Yeah. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Yeah, I would say what it means to make the health investment is to very often choose something that feels hard in the short term mm. that is going to make you feel amazing in the long term. 
So I think as a culture, that delayed gratification is very hard for us. We want to feel good now. Sometimes the things that have the biggest impact are challenging and hard. So if you're somebody that has been eating a diet that comprises mostly of ultra processed foods that are very convenient, for you to start eating real whole foods from scratch feels very daunting and hard. And, you know, you have to be okay with that sort of mini uphill battle at the beginning Mm-hmm. Um, to then reap like just inconceivable rewards down the line, you know? And then at some point it just starts to feel so good in the now that it doesn't feel like an uphill battle. Yeah. Beautifully said. Where can listeners follow and find you? So I am very active on social media, on Instagram as Chief Spice Mama, on TikTok slowly <laughs> grab, grab wrapping my head around TikTok. <laughs> um, also as Chief Spice Mama, uh, my blog, spicespicebaby.com has a link to my cookbook and also all the recipes that I ever share on social are on my blog. They live there. So if you're looking for any kind of spice inspiration, um, it's on my website. And there's also like a breakdown of spices and some of their benefits, my favorite food pairings. Um Yeah. And then I have a podcast called Radical Vitality that I'm relaunching in January that I would love for people to check out. We talk about food, but also other aspects of health. So yeah. Awesome. Um, Well, I will link all of those places in the show notes. So they're easily clickable. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time and all of your wisdom with us today. Again, I was taking notes the whole time. I I have certain episodes that my husband gets home at night and I'm like, guess what? Guess who I talked to today? And I just rattle off all these facts. So tonight's definitely going to be one of those nights. And I guarantee he's going to be diving into the world of spices as well. uh, Because it's something that I think both of us are intrigued by. We have some blends and different things, but I'm especially excited about that uh, company you shared. It's the L-A-B-O-I-T-E, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to share that also in the links. And I think it's just always good when somebody tells you these are reputable and you can trust these, it just takes the guesswork out of it. And so I can't wait to go to that website. So thank you so much, Kanchan. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to staying connected off air. Thank you so much, Brooke. It was a really fun conversation. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.